Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I am Tara Bowen Biggs here, as always, with Blazer's Outsider, Danny Morang. Woohoo! Hey, Danny. 2018, 2018 NBA Summer League Champions. Uh, Can we have a little enthusiasm here? Burnt, Tell me that wasn't well, fun. Come on. I, I, it was fun, but I burned it all up. I, I, went, I went too fast. I, I, used, I used up all of my joy from that. And I needed to string it out a lot sooner because we are in basketball hell between now and training camp starting. And I really, I should have enjoyed it much slower, but I decided instead to, to pop some. You're going to be a challenge tonight, aren't you? Oh, no, it's, this is going to be a, I'm, I'm going to be a difficult one tonight. I just had a glorious weekend too. And it's like coming back to basketball purgatory and nothing happening for probably the next four or five weeks. I'm like, man, give me something. Well, we're going to do our best. We're going to uh, try to find plenty of you things to talk I about. Found something. I have Shark Week. I have Shaq on TV yes. wearing a scuba suit with Rob Riggle swimming with sharks right now. That that <laughs> that is the closest I'm getting to basketball enjoyment. I think right now. Okay, we'll we'll hang on to that. Hold that close to your heart because we are going to talk about the Trailblazers. And should you start to find yourself slipping into a dark place, you just go right back to Shaq in a scuba suit. Can you stick with me on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm, now. I'm thinking about like how they they make a, find a scuba suit big enough for Shaq. Like those. those Will they buy plenty of material those, to start? Those are the with. questions that I want answered right now, Tara. <laughs> well, we're going to actually talk about the Trailblazers. Are you ready to turn to that? Uh, fine. So really, you don't have anything to say about the summer league champions. I have to say, I was I was. You know, so this is the time of year where everybody's podcasts are 10% longer because we have to spend part of our time saying, well, it's only summer league and it doesn't really count. So I get that, but it was fun to see this group gel and work hard and decide that they were going to win it and take it all the way to the end. And when is it ever not fun to beat the Lakers, especially these days? Yeah. I mean, not only that, I think the best part about it was watching the, uh, I believe it's, uh, uh, Brian Wheeler calls them the uh, the crown royal bags that are the Lakers jerseys leaving the Thomas and Mack Center early when they knew that they were getting stomped on. That was very reminiscent of the of the Moda Center. Um, yeah, that was fun. They left early for like the last eighteen games in Portland. I think is what it is that now. So uh, that part of it's fun watching uh, summer league MVP Josh Hart get double technical and tossed out. Basically what I enjoyed was the uh, Laker exceptionalism being smashed into the dirt. I may have enjoyed that more than the Blazers winning just because the Lakers have been on one lace recently with a LeBron signing. So seeing them humbled for a night was, was really fun. Um, got some cool performances from the, the summer league guys that are going to be part of the rotation. Um, seeing if Jake Lehman can, can turn into a rotation player after being successful in summer league. Uh, Wade Baldwin getting his contract guaranteed, um, you know, just a couple of days ago. That, that stuff I think has all been really cool as far as you know what to get out of somebody. Because going in, 
nobody really thought a 24th and 37th pick between Simons and Trent Jr. were going to be must-see TV at Summer League, right? You're talking more about DeAndre Ayton, uh, Marvin Bagley, mm-hmm. Trey Young, you know, the big-time lottery guys. Um, and instead, it ended up being a, a Portland squad that was loaded with Summer League veterans, which is kind of weird. <laughs> Well, we have spent a lot of time over the last two weeks, in fact, talking about all of those young guys. And so I wanted to bring it back and talk about our veterans who we've sort of let kind of do their own thing for the last couple of weeks. Everybody's fanned out, you know, having their summer camps or traveling across the world. But uh, we haven't really talked about Dame and CJ and, you know, what our hopes and dreams are for them coming up in the season. We talked last week about the, you know, what kind of like trying to set our uh, our highs and lows for uh, what we could expect from some of these guys, kind of our, the high hopes and then what the reasonable expectations they are had for the young guys. So we're going to do that this week now with our veterans who we know much better than we know the guys that we talked about the last couple of weeks. Let's go ahead and start right off with Dame, and I'm going to start with mine and then let you talk about what your high hopes are. My high hopes for Dame is I want him to be an all-star starter. That is what my dream is for him. Do you think that is in any realm possible? I think it is. I think it's aiming high, but I think it's possible. I mean, if we're talking dreams, yeah, certainly. I mean, why not in, in dreams? In reality, with the way the West is right now, probably not. Um, I would, I, but don't you feel like some of the other guards have kind of fallen off, at least in terms of you know likability and people who are going to vote for him and stuff? James Harden's still up there. You've got MVP candidates in Harden or MVP winners in Harden and Westbrook and Steph. Uh, so that, that's three guards right there that are MVP winners. Like that, that's difficult. Then you have. Um, Chris Paul, and then you've got the Lakers with Lonzo Ball. Like numbers-wise, it, it, it's going to overshadow Dame whether or not you know that makes a difference. Um, I think Dame can edge out Westbrook. I do. I believe in him. I, the only downside of a podcast is you can't just you can't see how wide my eyes just got. No. Well, how about you? What are your yeah. What are your high hopes for Dame? Uh, I I gotta put a bow on that one real quick because I just I don't think Dame, unless Portland becomes a part of the national picture, can carry as much weight as Westbrook does because he's so polarizing. Whether you you'll, mm-hmm. you hate him, he's everywhere, um, so he's always getting featured. Um, dreams for Damian Lillard. Um, that he became a 45, 40, 90 guy. Like his three point okay. percentage comes up. But he, How close is he to that now? Truly, truly elite um, three point shooter. Uh, let me pull up last year real quick. Basketball reference for everybody else out there. Always use basketball reference for this stuff. Uh, three, I can't believe uh, that you don't believe that you are not with me on this one. I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I love Dame, but you're talking about. The star power, Russell Westbrook's an MVP. He's an MVP winner. Average a triple-double years in a row. Like, the marketing necessary for Dame to overcome that doesn't happen in Portland. Like, I mean, think about the most marketable players in Portland's history who had legitimate claims to MVP status, like Clyde Drexler, and even Clyde got overlooked. 
And I understand. Yeah, but Dame has a bigger marketing machine behind him no. than the, Clyde Drexler. Okay, then Clyde. Okay, I thought you were talking about Westbrook. Yeah. Hello. Come on. No, I, I understand <laughs> the media landscape has changed quite drastically, but the, the levels of those two are, are pretty different. Yeah, but Dame has a much better chance of getting to it. I, I well, I guess Clyde was a starter, so never mind. <laughs> but <laughs> but in the in the current. I mean, I understand that the Western Conference right now is brutally hard to get through. I get that, but I'm still going to so hope for it. Dame's career, he's 43 from the field, 37 from three, and then 88 from the line. So just And you want him show, shooting 40 from three? 45-40, yeah. I think that like, – because at this point in time, I think Damian Lillard is who he is. He's a 27-5-5 and five guy, 27-6-5, mm-hmm. however you want to look at it. Um, which are staggering numbers. If he just ups that three-point percentage, then you're, you're talking about a realistic possibility of setting the all-time record for scoring in a season, like breaking Clyde Drexler's single-season scoring record um, for point For the Blazers. Yeah. Um, and it's just minor tweaks in efficiency. And, and granted, that, that's a big jump. I guess it's, you know, it's 3% at his volume, would be insane. Like mm-hmm. if he maintained his whatever uh, eight and a half or so attempts per game and upped it by three percent, that's that's pretty substantial in the long run. Like how what that what the value is to the team. Um, realistic expectations, him getting to thirty eight percent. Like team gets to the free throw line. I mean, he's averaging over seven free throws a game and shooting ninety percent from the line. Like that's that's huge. Um, he doesn't really turn the ball over. His assist to turnover ratio is pretty decent for the the role that he's asked to play. Um, I think as far as expectations, this may sound kind of weird, but I would hope that, and ex- I don't necessarily expect, I would hope that he figures out how to take better care of himself earlier in the season. I'm not saying like Dame's out of shape or anything like that. It's the, the, his, those feet of his have caused him to miss a couple mm-hmm. games every year for the past three years. And it's always around that December to January timeframe because he's asked to do so much. I think if he can find a way to be slightly more efficient and pick and choose his spots ever slow, so tightly, that could be huge as far as, you know, not putting too much wear and tear on his body. And again, the reason I'm nitpicking here on, on Damian Lillard is because he's an all NBA caliber player. Like you're not expecting these massive lines or changes or growths or opportunities for him. It's just, you know, you're hoping he tweaks here or there just to make incremental changes to his game to take him to that next plane of like from superstar to, you know, Oh my God, he's up there with you know Braun, KD, Giannis. Top five yeah. is I think what yeah. the blog boys call yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, you really I, I think he's a top ten player, but I think that that cutoff line at five is still pretty substantial. And if he can get to six or even five, that would be huge for his legacy and his um, his profile around the league. For when he gets to be an All Star starter. Yeah, there you go. Well. For my expectations for him were really just that he maintain the his same production of last year. Right. You know, he had 26.9, 4.5, and 6.6. Just keep doing that. I don't care if he does it more efficiently. Just keep doing that. That's my... Yeah, that's I feel fantastic. I, reason, I feel like that's reasonable. No, it is. It, it, without without question. Like, he's... That, that's what I'm like saying. Like, when you're asking, like, what I would change, 
it's all like, okay, no, I'm happy with this. But I mean, if you, if I could get something, give me just a little bit more, a little smidge more here or there. Well, I, I mean, it sounds like you were, you know, hoping for for that same thing, just <laughs> with maybe a little bit more efficiency and earlier, you know. Well, I guess no, you wanted him to. Uh, you do, you weren't talking about him getting doing it earlier in the year. You were talking about him being careful about taking care of himself throughout the year, including the earlier part of the year. Correct. Um, but sometimes, you know, um, you know, maintaining that throughout consistently throughout the season can be tough, especially when he's fighting injury, battling injuries. But we're going to have a no foot problem year next year. We're going to just all hope for that. All right, moving on to CJ. My hope for him is we've heard all this talk about how CJ's practically an all-star CJ's near all-star caliber CJ's an all-star caliber player so I would like to see CJ be an all-star next year uh, how big are your eyes now yeah I, I, that was just kind of more of a depressed sigh <laughs> uh, yeah I, as, as difficult it is for Dan to make the roster a starter the gap between him and CJ even making the all-star game is pretty tremendous. Well, we just keep hearing so much talk about how he's practically an all-star. He's all-star caliber. Well, I just, the thing is, is he's not like CJ McCollum was a very good player, especially offensively, but the way he stacks up with guards around the league, particularly in the Western conference, like there's a clear tier ahead of him. I mean, just at the two guard position alone, James Harden, Clay Thompson, if you want to call Jimmy Butler a two, um, Jimmy Butler. Um, you look at uh, Denver, and I'm not saying he's better, but talking about guys who are up and coming, you've got Gary Harris, who is a two-way player and is gonna, probably going to get a lot more notice. Devin Booker is probably going to get a lot more notice coming up. Like I, If you ask me who's going to make an all-star team first, I would take the odds on Devin Booker over C.J. McCollum. So do you think that that Devin Booker has a, a bigger promotional engine behind him? Do you think Phoenix is that think, much bigger? Is it because CJ is with leaning and Devin Booker is with somebody else? I mean, what's your, why do you think Devin Booker will be there first? Uh, I think Booker he scored 70 points in a game two years ago. Why does everybody go to that stupid line? It's I, I, I hate that whole scout scores. many points scored 70 points. It's ridiculous. It's like the guy can score. He's a flat-out scorer in this league. Like, as everybody talks about what CJ is, what makes him an all-star or near all-star, um, it, it's it's entirely different or strange or weird or I, I don't I don't really get where that's coming from because. So you don't think Devin Booker will make it? That won't be why. It'll just because everybody will recognize and appreciate how much he's grown as a player and that he's good enough to be an all-star. I think it's because he's going to be a guy who's going to score 25 to 27 a game. Uh-huh. That's that. And CJ is going to be lagging behind that. So when people like, so who am I going to vote for? And they, you know, kick up the basketball reference. They're going to see Devin Booker putting up flashier numbers. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know um, why that's doing that, and I'm sorry for the dings. My text messages are coming through, and they're not supposed to be. So I'm oh, you're so popular, Dan. Can hear that right now. Um, if it's breaking news, by all means, yeah, break the news. Yeah, my my girlfriend is is letting me know she's watching The Bachelorette. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is breaking news. Is you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. Wait, can we take a sidebar about like the worst? 
like almost Woj bomb ever that was like I thought was going to be huge news that was like the littlest news possible. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I think which the, the first the, the first the Adrian Wojnarowski. Portland Trailblazers general or manager basketball operations, Neil Olshay. And that's like all my phone showed. And I was like, Oh my God, what, what? And I was like, so excited. And I was like trying to move too fast. And so then my phone got all clogged up and I was like trying to reload it, trying to reload it. And it's like, he got admitted to the hall of fame for his, uh, college. Awesome. Like the 87, <laughs> right? So that what it was. And it was like, like Shams had been breaking stuff like all day long, all those, you know, end of free agency little, you know, this person's going here, this person, you know, like none of the like huge breaking news, but it was like a constant stream. And so when I saw that like Woj finally had something, I was so excited that it was going to be a really big deal and turned out maybe it's a big deal to Neil Olshay and congratulations to him for being recognized by his alma mater. I'm very happy and I'm sure he's very proud of that. It was just not what I was expecting um, as a Woj bomb. <laughs> yeah, that that seemed really, really, really weird. Like, has has Woj done that for anybody else? That's, I don't think so. And that, plus, there was like all it, kinds of extra other stuff going on. Yeah, it was like their like, lacrosse team from like '05 and '11 or something like that were in, inducted into the. What college was it? Lemoyne. I, you know, I'm afraid it was one I actually don't. I hadn't even heard of it. And I, put, in college. I, I did college searches with three kids, so I thought that I saw just about all of the all of the colleges. But anyway, that is beside the point. We will for uh, uh, forgive the dings, and we're very excited um, that the Bachelorette has started. Um, but I want to go back to talking about CJ because for realistic expectations, I tried to get more realistic with him. Um, and, you know, there's kind of there been some narrative about CJ, like, need, be needing to create more for others. And I'm wondering, you know, and, you know, look, look at a guy like Clay. Like, that's not something that people ever ask of Clay. But I think because CJ is supposed to be, like, the backup point guard, that's where, that's where that comes from, why we expect something like that from CJ. Is that right? I, I assume that's where a lot of that's coming from. But realistically, it's not who he is. He, he, he's a scorer. Mm-hmm. And he's, can you want to talk about career shooting? What I asked Damian Lillard to become was a 45, 40, 90 guy. Well, CJ McCollum's a 45, 41, 84 guy. So basically mm-hmm. what I'm asking Damian Lillard to do is keep doing what he's doing, but do it at CJ McCollum's level of efficiency, but obviously at a higher usage rate, which is where the discussion comes in about, you know, usage rate and, and drop in effectiveness versus it's, you know, the, the relationship between those two, but for CJ, I don't want him to be like this better. I mean, sure. I'll take a better facilitator, but for me, it's about finding ways to score outside of his two main sources, which is out of the pick and roll, at the three point line. And in the, in the, in the mid range, like a mm-hmm. dream scenario is CJ McCollum figuring out how to get to the free throw line. Because for the love of God, mm. his inability to get to the free throw line continues to be one of the most staggering things to me for a 20-point-per-game score in the modern era. Like he, in 2015-16, narrowly missed out on being or having the lowest free throw rate of a 20-point-per-game score since 1970. 
Is that just because? Or what are some of the things behind that? He doesn't go doesn't go to the hoop very much. Well, he does, but he pulls he, up between eight and ten feet. Oh, like he doesn't. He like looks like he's gonna drive, but then he stops and pulls up because he's so good at that pull up. Think about his if CJ's game. Like, what yeah. do you think of? You think of pull up mid range mm-hmm. and a floater in the paint, like when you're talking mm-hmm. about inside the three point line. You don't, yeah, the kinds of things where people are less likely to touch you. Exactly. And I think, and I, this isn't the first time I've said it, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that CJ's had some bum ankles, particularly early in his career, that cost him a lot of playing time. And he knows that to save his body, to make it to where he can play 80 games a season, which he's done for the last three years, he's played 80, 80, and 81, which is pretty spectacular considering he played 38 and 62 his first two years. Mm-hmm. Um but it's a way to stay healthy. If you're not jumping into that pile, you're not putting yourself on the line. You're not putting yourself in a position where you're going to roll an ankle or you're going to get hit. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like, but if he can find a way to be stronger, kind of more ground bound um, and be craftier around the rim, think of Rajon Rondo or even James Harden. Like Harden is a big dude. Don't get me wrong. He's a big, strong guy. Um, but most of his ability to finish around the rim is setting people off on timing and CJ's his shiftiness, his handle is more than tight enough to be able to create space and finish in traffic. So if he find a way to be a little trickier, to be a little trickier inside the paint and getting all the way to the cup, um, I think it would be great for him to generate more free throws to, to finish through that contact. But also, I think it would open up a lot of the playmaking because when you get all the way to the rim and you suck the defense in all the way mm-hmm. to the rim, that does create more openings. And if CJ's a, a capable and willing passer from that position, it's more likely to turn into a more open look than, say, a, a pass where a rotation hasn't been fully made yet because everybody knows that he's not going to the rim. So a realistic expectation for you for CJ would be uh, how many more free throws do you think that he could get like in a game or average over a time? Last year was his career high free throw rate. Um, By last year, I mean 2016, 17. So I should specify that. Whereas free throw rate was 0.204. That means for basically one out of every five shots that he took that year were turning into free throws. Um, or the frequency which he would generate free throws. His past year was his second lowest at .166. If he can get to to 25%, which would be a staggering jump. That's a big leap. That's yeah. a staggering jump. But just to kind of put a number behind this, if you took the, the exact amount of shots that CJ took last year, 1,505, at the free throw rate of 25 as opposed to .166, he took 250 free throws last year. He would get up to 387. That's it. Think of all those end of game situations where. That's, a, that's 140 <laughs> more free throws in a season. That's that's so, substantial. So if he averages one every four shots instead of one in every five. Yep. When you think about it, that, that, would be, that doesn't sound like that much. Mm-hmm. Especially for a guy who has. You're welcome. Jazz in. Uh, because most 20 point per game guys have a free throw rate between 28 and 30. Like those, like that, that, that's kind of where they hover at. Like if you look at like, 
If anybody wants to look, yes. I'll, I'll put the link in there. I, I, I charted all this in 2015, 16, when I first started looking at this for CJ. And you can kind of see where all the 20 point per game scores come together, that, that bell curve for you. And that's, that's kind of where, where those guys sit at. Um, so if he can just get close to the party, maybe not in the front door, maybe he's on the front yard. If he can get close, <laughs> that, that, I think that would be a massive, massive level of growth for CJ. Okay, I don't want to take us too far down a rabbit hole, but with CJ and you brought up James Harden, and I'm you know sorry for people who don't want to hear this, but the in the last year especially, Dame has really learned how to draw fouls. Um, and a lot of them look like he's drawing fouls the way that James Harden draws fouls in a way that a lot of people are not super happy with. But when it converts and it means Damian, Damian Lillard is getting points, I'm all for it. Is that something that would fit into the way CJ plays for him to learn some of those tricks? Or do you think it would be better for him to spend time, you know, doing perfecting other tricks? I mean, you do what you have to do to win Uh, as much as I hate James Harden. um, I I think that some of the stuff that he does is masterful because he takes advantage of situations. It's very awful, boring, gaudy, disgusting basketball that I have no interest in. But if the referees are going to continue to call things the way that they do, if the league's going to continue to take advantage of those situations or not take advantage of those situations where they can make changes and, and change the way things are officiated, then, yeah, no, just learn a few tricks. Don't, don't be stupid about it. Like, take advantage of, of what, what is there because, but, uh, Dame, I mean, Dame. But, like, in the way that he scores, does it make sense in the way that he scores? Because – they score differently. Yeah, but they do and they don't. Like Harden's about getting in isolation, which is very much what CJ does. Mm-hmm. But Harden is more about getting downhill, where CJ is more about getting to his spot. Like if he's not going mm-hmm. to get to the three-point line, it's about getting that mid-range of that pull-up. But if he adds that third, you know, option, like when he does attack off and dribble, to go all the way to the rim, because he's got the ability to create the space. He, he does it nightly. He's got one of the tightest handles in the league. So. I mean, for him to be able to do that, I don't think that should be too difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, so we shall see if CJ is able to uh, make any strides in that department. Let's move on to one that I think is going to be pretty fun. Nurkic. Do you want to go first on Nurkic? Yeah, I'll take this one. You're talking about like dreams, um, consistency. He's consistent presence on both ends of the floor. And like, if he does that, the production comes. When Nurkic first got to Portland, Damon Lillard said like 20 and 12 is a very realistic expectation for use of Nurkic. He could see it in practice. Um, and realistically, and even the dream side of it, I, 20 and 12 is probably a stretch, but 18, 11, I, I, if he shows up consistently, that's, that's right in the wheelhouse. Like he should be able to do that pretty regularly. Uh, that should be a normal use of Nurkic night. Because right now he's playing 24, 26 minutes. You bump him up to 30 minutes, 31 minutes, and uh, just a little bit of consistency, less flip shots, more aggressiveness. Um, like that, that should be a readily available uh, dream. Like the dream is like 20 and 12, and he can stay on the floor all game long and not be a liability. Um, I'm not expecting that, though. So if he can get to 18 and 11, 1711. I'm, I'm thrilled with that. Okay. So, you know, you're not thinking of any like specific 
things to add to his toolkit or anything. It's just do what you already do, but do it every game. Do it reg- do it regularly and consistently and be aggressive. Like aggressive mm-hmm. Nurkic does all the things he needs to do. He finishes strong. Mm-hmm. He bodies people up. He intimidates in the paint. He blocks shots. Like the skill set is there. Like I think that's why everybody just kind of like wants him to be who he is. And they want to see the angry Nurkic because angry Nurkic is a hell of a basketball player. <laughs> very few guys that can come out there and give you 2020 games. And his, his ability to do that is going to be tested this year and is going to be necessary at times because outside of Yusuf Nurkic, there isn't a guy on this team who's calling Carter's rebounding. Like Swanigan wants it to be, but he hasn't shown the ability to do that at the NBA level. Like Nurkic is a guy who can just gobble up rebounds regularly. Um, and I think if you up his aggressiveness, it's very, very easy to see him being a, a close to a 2010 guy. You know what else he might do if he ups his aggressiveness? Possibly. Um, Hit in the face. I'd love to see. I'd love to see him dunk the ball a little bit more. Yeah. How many dunks do you think he attempted last season? Attempted? Oh, geez. Um, I don't know, but what I can do is I can look it up. Well, you look that up because I. I looked it up and I couldn't believe it. And I still am not quite sure that I believe it. As far as I'm looking at stats.nba.com and he took 65 dunk attempts last year in 79 games. That, uh, that sounds terrible. That seemed way too low, but I keep looking it up over and over and over again. And that's what it keeps coming up at. He took, 208 hook shots, 255 jump shots, 385 layups, and according to what I'm looking at, well, 65 dunk attempts. So, in 79 games, that's in the shot type summary. Yeah, I'm looking at basketball reference for this one. Um, shows he made 65 dunks. This Which, says that he attempted oh, 60, 65 and made 61. 61, yes. So he had a very nice 93.8%, but he only took 65. So what I would like to see, which I think is very reasonable expectation, would be 100 dunk attempts. That's a little more than one a game. Just just give me a little more than one a game. Compared that to Rudy Gobert, who I know is, you know, he's he's way up there and he's definitely aspirational. Rudy took 164 dunks in 56 games. So in much fewer games, much more often. Right. So I would just, I would just like to see him average more than one a game and be just like, have that be something that he turns to more regularly because we know that when he takes them, he's successful. So I just, that's, that's my, that's my line on Nurk. You know, if we want to go a hundred dunks as a realistic expectation and, you know, 150 as a high hope, that's what I'll take. Yeah. I, I like that. I can go with that. How about, uh, Aminu? Um, my dream is that he's able to finish up the season in Portland. That's mine. Oh, God. <laughs> Damn. I mean, I'm going to survive. So all the people who are DMing me about 
trying to make sure I'm going to be okay if if Aminu doesn't. Like, people are already contacting me. Like, I'm going to fall apart or something. And I will admit I will be sad, but I will carry on. I do understand <laughs> that this is a game and that it is a business. But, yeah, I would just like I would just like to have him be on the team for the whole season. Yeah, realistically, How about, there's a good chance that yeah. he's gone. Um, I, I mean, I think he's probably finished developing as a player. Um, I, I could see him adding slight changes and tweaks to his game. Um, but I think he is who he is at this point. A guy who's got a, a loose handle, uh, a serviceable three, an exciting uh, handle, Dan, exciting. That's, that's the way to put it. Um, should have to start writing my resume. Uh, but he's a three and D guy and he's incredibly valuable. He's doesn't need the ball to be uh, effective for long periods. He's a catch and shoot guy. Like I think uh, it's, it's great for teams to have the ability to have these guys on your team. The Aminus of the world, the, the Emba Mutes, the Trevor Ariza's, you know, these, these fantastic six foot nine, six foot 10 um, Swiss army knives that you can kind of plug and play for like what you need, uh, particularly on the defensive end uh, for long stretches. Um, and Portland just doesn't have, really anybody besides him who's that guy if you want to make the argument that maurice harkless could be that guy sure but i'm, I'm not going to go with you down that road um so yeah letting him or losing him um would be borderline terrifying and the watching how portland would have to adjust to that would be really really strange so yeah yeah so we'll deal with, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I'm sure all my friends will be there, but I would also like to just remind everybody that I, you know, will be okay. I would like for a realistic expectation for him. I want, I would love to see 40% from three with less variation than we've seen in the past because, you know, he has some like super fantastic. You want to be better on the shake he's down. <laughs> what? Do you want to be better on the shake rating? On the shake rating? Yeah, like old, old Golliver's statistic that he tongue-in-cheek kind of made up a couple years back about being consistent. Um, uh, having, you know. Then, yes. The, the, if that means being five, more consistent with less variation, that is what I mean. <laughs> better to be two for five from three every night than to be five from seven one night, oh for seven the next. Yes. Yes. That is exactly that is exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, in t- it's possible. We can hope. Next I on my list <laughs> is Mo Harkless. And Next. I don't, I don't know <laughs> what to say. It's just, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what a high hope for him is, really. <laughs> what is it? How many years are we going to fall for this, Tara? How, how many years are we going to talk about? But he finished the season strong. Man, if we could just get well, he did was from that stretch. Man, if we could just get the Maurice Harkless from that thirteen-game winning streak. Man, if we could just get the Maurice Harkless when the Blazers went on a roll and secured a playoff spot from 2016-17. Well, if no, stop, stop. I if you're trusting Maurice Harkless or you're hoping and praying for Maurice Harkless to finally figure it out going into his seventh year, God bless you, because I'm I'm not. I'm not counting on the guy to do a damn thing. If there's one thing I've learned about Maurice Harkless, the more you put into him and the more trust and faith and hope you put in him, the more disappointing he's going to be. 
Like I want him to do well. I want him to be great, but I'm done to the point of like, Oh yeah, no, he'll figure it out this year. I, if he does great, I'll be there to cheer him on, but I'm not hoping, dreaming or expecting a single thing from him. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to counter that because he is another one of those guys who can be quite mercurial, mercurial, where he can have those stretches like he played. So I guess you know, the hope is that we don't have these down periods that he's experienced before, that he's now matured because. You know, one thing that we can't, he is getting older, but he has always been younger than I always think that he is. I always forget that he is, yeah, but he's getting there now. He's what, 24, 20, he's like going to be in 25 again, again, he's going to be 25 this year. So let's hope that he's got it figured out where, um, he's able to, uh, bring his full attention every game and, and give it all that. And, you know, from the reports that we had last year, he figured out that it was an attitude adjustment that he could make and that he had control over. So let's hope that that's what it is that, you know, that it was just simply his attitude. I mean, attitudes are obviously more complex, but that there's, you know, that there's nothing wrong that makes him freeze up when he gets out there or there's nothing like that. It's just simply something that he has control over and he just hadn't gained control over it yet. So there's my, there's my hope. I have a hard time getting motivated, getting behind a guy who's lone problem with production is that he doesn't give a crap. Well, uh, we're not in his mind, so we can't say for sure that when, he doesn't, you're, when you're mo- but he doesn't take as many shots mo- as I would wish that he would. You don't give a crap when you have checked out mentally to the point where it's evident to every single person watching on TV, you don't care enough. And if like, I, I, I can't, I can't get behind that if that's the mentality of a guy who's supposed to be – this is the thing that drives me nuts. You want to talk about uh, about expectations and dreams? Terry Stotts' – Boy, it's expectations, with that attitude. No, geez. Terry Stotts' reasonable expectations and dreams for this team is to have a small forward. Like, you, you, can't, okay. you can't – like, nobody can sit there and criticize – you know, anybody in this situation, but Maurice Harkless there, there, he has all the room. There's nobody else in this team. Who's a small forward. He has all the opportunity and, and chances in the world to be a successful contributory player. And so like, I just want to see him do that first, do that. So what does that I, look like when you, what does he do that you go? Oh, that's it. Mo, he's he's figured it out. He's got it. He is dialed in. What does that look like? Contribute. Run the floor. Play defense. Okay. Shoot the shot that you're supposed to shoot. Like there are so many times where I and I highlighted it on on Twitter and in articles for the last couple of years where it's like you could be everything that you needed that this team wants and needs you to be. He has the tools. He's strong. He's fast. He's athletic. He's got a tight enough handle. He can attack off the dribble. He can shoot. He can play defense. He's multifaceted. He can run the floor. Like when you look at Maurice Harkless, do you think, oh, you know what? He's lacking this, this, or this. No, you look at him and go, why the hell haven't you figured it out? Like that, like, you know what? Like the telling sign of, of what's going on or what to expect from him. I think I figured it out. I think I know what I want to see. I want to know he's there. 
I want him to yeah. make his presence felt because when he is not engaged, you know, the other players are on the floor and you go, Oh yeah, Mo's in there too. I forgot about Mo. So, you know, for him to make his presence known, I think that would be, that's what I'm hoping to see is that he, every time he steps out on the floor, he makes his presence known. We call it Alan crab disease. You're like, Oh, he is out there. Yes. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. That's that's what I want 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 for Mo. He steps out. We know he's there. I don't disagree. I, th- I think that's probably the the best way to figure it out is like make an impact in the game somehow, some way, every night. Let me let me go ahead and specify that positively. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like I when when we remember those games where he was so engaged, we remember him because he had six steals in the first half. There is no way that Utah didn't know that he was there in that game. He came out and he made his presence known all over the place. So we know he can do it. Everybody talks about how he was so good during that stretch, during that 13 game winning streak. If you look at his numbers during that winning streak, the only thing that stands out is his shooting. It's not like he was scoring 20 points a game. Terry, we're getting like 10 or 12 from him a game. We're not talking about like staggering numbers. That's how bereft the Portland Trailblazers are at the wing position. Like 12 points a game is the difference between a 13-game winning streak or playing like absolute dog poo in November and December. Like that, that's, that's how close to the wire they are for between being a very good team night in, night out, and being just meh. So like you said, make himself known. If he makes himself known, that puts Portland in a position where they're all, it's a lot less precarious when you're talking about making or missing the playoffs. All right. Well, we're speaking it into existence, Dan, right now. It's happening now. All right. Let's talk about two guys off the bench quickly, and then we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Evan Turner and Myers Leonard. What are your uh, thoughts on either of those guys? Uh, Turner's going to Turner very much like Alfred Camino. You know what he is. He's been in the league long enough. Um, Quit expecting that he's going to figure out how to shoot. (laughs) When I say how to shoot, I mean how to shoot from three. Um, he can get better to an extent. Like, yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, not going to buy into it. Um, but as far as dreams, um, that he gets out there and he reverts to his Boston Celtics form and they find, he finds a way to fit himself better into the offense without, um, requiring or needing the ball all the time. <coughs> Okay, so that is interesting because if we've got, you know, CJ as, you know, backup point guard, and I've heard, I, I think I heard it from either Stotts or Olshay in one of those, like, nine bazillion interviews that they did during Portland's incredible 2018 NBA Summer League Championship run, uh, there was talk about Evan Turner holding the ball for, during the second unit. Um so what I was kind of looking at for him was trying to get his assist to turnover rate better because he takes a lot of chances with the ball and turns it over a lot. I think some of those chances are exciting and they work, but a lot of them aren't and don't. (laughs) So if he's going to be that secondary or that ball handler in the second unit, I would like to see him improve on that. Um, But how do you see how do you see them using him with that second unit? 
I, think, I mean, I guess it's hard to tell with the new guys I how they're going to work in. The ball, I think, is a good idea. Portland doesn't really have anybody who likes to cut. Um, Evan Turner's big enough, strong enough, long enough, and willing enough to, to cut off the ball. Um, I think him and Maurice Harkless probably huh? have the two best chances to do that. And Portland has added a bunch of guys who you can play on the ball. Like Seth Curry is a guy that plays on the ball. Yes, he's a catch-and-shoot guy, but he also operates with the ball in his hand a lot. Um, Gary Trent Jr. shows he can attack off the bounce. His passing ability or capability is still kind of an unknown, but I trust him more with creating a shot at multiple levels than I do in Evan Turner right now because his effectiveness outside of 15 feet is very limited, where at least with a guy like Gary Trent Jr., while it's totally and completely unproven, the theory exists that hasn't been proven <laughs> is that he can shoot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just, just the threat of that alone is enough to make you go, okay. That, that mean, that you, you can see that. And if, and if you've got enough shooters on the floor where Aminu is the uh, a secondary ball handler at times and working off ball through the paint, especially if you're if this grand idea of playing Zach Collins at center, have Zach step out and clear some room in the middle. They have cutters coming through every now and then. Like that, that style of offense that is so prevalent around the NBA right now, I think that'd be a way for um, Evan Turner to evolve his game a little bit to become a little bit more efficient is to work off the ball. And I, I know he likes to handle the ball, and I, I'm, I'm okay with that for stretches, but I think that's a way to maybe get him going without having to force feed him those things. Okay, I've had a, had a lot of thoughts. One of them was that my heart just grew two sizes when you talked about Aminu as a secondary ball handler, but we're going to move on from that um, because I am fascinated by this whole thing because I've been trying so hard for the last few years to try to force Evan Turner into a position uh, as a ball handler because that's how they keep talking about him is that you're using him as a ball handler. But what you're saying, I think, you know, is, is a great possibility for him. Cause you know, he's creative and why not be creative without the ball? Um, I'm not saying he needs you know, primarily I'm saying that that's a little wrinkle. I think that they could put in there. Um, well, yeah, not all the time, but and I, I think more <laughs> to improve his efficiency. Like when Evan gets it going mm-hmm. mid range, he, he can, he can shoot the ball from there. Um, but I think he's most consistent when he catches the ball down on the block or, you know, in the pinch post or high post. Because it's, it's putting him in a, in a position where he's more comfortable, closer to the rim. Well, you know how you get really close to the rim? You cut. And if, if, mm-hmm. if there's somebody who's a willing and capable passer to get him the ball in those cuts, that's the other part of this. And that, that's why I think we're, a lot of people get lost. But Blazers just need to run more cutters. Well, I, I do agree to an extent. I think part of the reason they don't run a lot of cutters is there's not a lot of guys that are willing and capable passers to make those plays to cutters. But I could see Evan Turner being um... – uh, I don't want to say smart enough because I, that, that that sort of discounts everybody else's abilities, but I can see him being the kind of guy who's been on the delivery end of those passes long enough that he would understand the timing really he, well. He does. He, he does know how to set a guy up for that. Like he, if there's anybody on this team that knows how to make that backdoor cut um, when a guy turns his head or overextends, mm-hmm. takes a false step, he's, he's very good at that. Um, and I would like to see, that's a, kind of where I was going with this. I would like to see the Blazers take advantage of that situation. Interesting. That that would be very interesting. Okay, last guy I think for us to talk about tonight, Myers Leonard. Uh, Myers Leonard right now is, a, a, you know, the backup center. Where you know he was behind a couple of guys last year. He was behind at least Ed last year, but it looks like he's we're going to see him more. So let's 
let's <laughs> explore hopes and dreams for Myers. I know we've been here before, um, but let's try to keep it realistic. Um, I hope he gets out of his own way. That's, that, that, mm-hmm. that's my dream and my hope and my expectation is that he gets out of his own way. Um, I know it's, it's, it's taboo to say it, but skill-wise, I've talked to plenty of guys, players, coaches, execs around the league. Skill-wise, the, the guy has it. It's, it's entirely, completely, 100% a mental thing. It, it's, it's a block. There's something that happens when he steps on that court. Um, if, if he's able to figure that out, he's a very solid contributor off the bench. Like I, his, his ability to be a big man, like just take up, eat up space defensively and stretch the floor and knock down threes. If those two things come, he is a more than capable backup center in the NBA and will be for the rest of his career. The chances of that happening are, are very, very small. Um, but Neil Olshay has put Terry Stotts in a position where um, he has to play Myers Leonard. They, they just mm-hmm. don't have enough bodies. Like oh, a lot of Blazers Edge writers, we've all talked about and joked about it. Um, I've brought up on Blazers Outsiders, but it's it's true. The Blazers are one rolled ankle away from Myers Leonard being a starter. Mm-hmm. Just everybody remember that. It was well, Zach Collins will start. Okay, well, Zach Collins will get absolutely abused against starting level lineups right now. He's he's still got a ways. Myers probably will too, but you're not stunting his development by throwing him to the wolves. You throw Collins out there when he's not ready, and we may be having this conversation about Collins in a couple of years. Um, and I, I think that's something that people need to kind of take a step back from when they talk about wanting to put Collins out there immediately. Um, he may want to be ready. He may look to be ready. Um, but I think that's part of the reason why Myers is in the position that he's in now is that he was kind of moved around and wanted to be this when he needed to be that. And I, I think in the long run, that's kind of hurt him. Um, I know people will think that I'm making excuses for him, but I still think Myers is at least a capable NBA player if he gets past that. But that's a hell of a hurdle to get past. I I just am confused about what his role will be because I feel like they came in and saw him take some threes and were like, we're going to make you into a three-point shooter. And I just am not sure that that's the place. I just – I see him – spending a lot more time thinking when he's out there on the perimeter than I do when he is at the rim. Um, so I guess my hope or expectation, or I caught all rolled into the one is that he figures out, they figure out what his role is Mm -hmm. like to, you know, to his abilities, they figure out what his role is and allow him to be good at that before they try to expand it into anything else. Cause I really just think, I think what I think, you know, you talk about Collins a lot and there's, there's lots of qualifiers about when you're, you know, and you're, you're worried about him. And I think, I think what you're getting at with your concern for Collins is everybody rushing to uh, develop him too fast to get too high uh, to everybody to get ahead of ourselves and then him not being able to fulfill that yet and it turning into a Myers Leonard situation where people had these high expectations. He wasn't able to meet them. And now, um, now, you know, it's just ugly. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I'm not sure that I agree that I, I see where you're coming from. I don't know that it's as, as dire with Collins, um, but I understand where you're coming from. And I think you're, I think you're coming from a place of like, 
protect the kid <laughs> rather than, you know, saying that he's not good. Yeah, let, you him, know. let him develop. Like, quit, quit throwing the labels on him of he's the next uh, Kevin Durant or Chris Bosh or Dirk Nowitzki. Like, the, the, the labels and stuff that I've seen thrown at the kid, like, quit calling him a Hall of Famer after a 4-4 four and four season where he's shown flashes here and there. Let the kid develop at his own level, at his own rate, at his own pace, and when he does start to really show something – for an entire season, then be like, okay, let's build upon that. Well, and I, I think it's it's okay to make comparisons in terms of style of play, as long as you're you're not saying that he is Dirk Nowitzki. But that's, if he does have a move that's like Dirk Nowitzki's move, yeah. then so, yeah, he's if, you know he's imitating his moves, he's learning his moves, he's trying to be like that. But I, I think when people say that we're not necessarily saying that Zach, Coll- I'm not necessarily saying, you know, Zach Collins is the next Kevin Durant because he made this one shot or anything, but he may make a move that looks like he learned it from studying one of these players. Yes, those are two totally different, different things. And, uh, and you, you know, that I know what, what we're talking about, the difference of this, because I've shown you the tweets and the DMS and read you the things that have been told to me. Um, where people are literally calling him the next Chris Bosh or literally calling him a young Rashid Wallace. Again, it's uh-huh. disappointing that we're on a podcast right now because you can't see the look on my face. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't understand that whole idea because that this, to tie this all back to Myers is, and this isn't uh, the main reason I don't think for this, but I think it was a contributory factor to the position that Myers is in right now is that, um, expectations were constantly changed. Um, the bars for measurement were constantly changed. Uh, how they were going to utilize him was constantly changed. The coaches around him, what was expected of him. Like, I think that being put in that position ultimately is not a good place for Myers um, to be. And I, I don't want to see the same thing happen to Collins and I get that they're different players. It's not because they're both tall white dudes. I just think that the development cycle for bigs and what we expect out of these really young kids is still pretty far off from what um, is expected of a guy like a Jaron Jackson Jr. or DeAndre Ayton in this draft. Mm-hmm. So to to bring it back to Myers. Again, like I was saying, I'm hoping that they settle on the thing that they want him to do and that he does it. And before they try to add any more nuances to it, you know, he does that one thing well. Um, I was, uh, uh, we can save this for another discussion, but I was, uh, something that we're going to want, need to talk about in the uh, next you know, dry spell <laughs> between the, when the season starts is what those lineups might be like. So who Myers might play next to yeah. who Collins might play next to, because we might have Collins and Leonard playing together and that could be a whole intro. That's a whole nother thing for, for us to talk about whether, you know, how that could go. Yeah. And just, just to get a little teaser in there. I think a Collins Leonard lineup, is more likely than any Collins center based lineup to be successful mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. as wild as that may seem. Um, but so that's something we'll get to as we get closer to the season. Right. Well, we've made it through our hopes and expectations for Dame CJ, Nurk, Aminu, Harkless, ETM Myers, Leonard, 
You can listen to the last podcast if you want to hear us talking about the younger guys. We didn't really talk in either one much about Nick Stauskas or Seth Curry because we don't we just haven't seen them. Once, uh, um, once of a no NBA basketball nomad, the other one's coming coming off a devastating leg injury, so they, they both get they both get a pass. Can you remind me what was? He had, did he have a stress fracture in his leg? Yeah, he, Seth Curry. Yeah, he had multiple things going on with, with his leg, and it, it wasn't just his knee, like what people would want to talk about. It was, you know, leg bone. So you got to be got to be careful when you're when you're out for that long. Yeah, I gotta go. I wanna I wanna go. Well, Kawhi's been out that long. He's gonna be fine, right? Yeah, I think that's a little bit different. <sighs> I don't know. I'm I'm gonna I'll go read up more on. Seth Curry's injury so we can find out more about that. Another thing that we can talk about later on this summer and all this, a good thing we have all these topics piling up because we have many weeks ahead of us before the season starts again. Uh, Blazer five gaming update. The guys are back in their winning ways. They're nine and one on the season back on track. One wild walnut had an incredible 30 point 24 rebound game and mama. I'm that man. 24 points, 17 assists in their most recent victory over the Dallas Mavericks. Yep. So well, I didn't want, it, I didn't want to talk about them much last week, but this week they are not grounded any longer. I told them they are, you guys are no longer grounded. Um, yeah. The uh, one wild walnut Dwayne Downey um, has cemented himself as the number one candidate for the MVP uh, blazer five gaming. It looks like they're back on track and rolling again. Cause they beat the brakes off of who do they just play. Uh, Dallas. Dallas. They just beat the brakes off them. Um, so it looks like some order has been restored, and they're 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 back to looking like the favorite to close out the season as the number one seed. So it, it, that's something that all season long has been cool to see. So um, again, guys, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, go to Twitch.tv, go to NBA 2K League Gaming, um, check out Blazers Five Gaming, and, and give it a shot uh, if you haven't already checked it out. Just follow them on Twitter. They tweet out when they're getting ready to play. If that's the easiest way for me yep. to do it. Well, I don't have anything else. I am going to uh, get back to my vacation because I'm on, actually on vacation right now. So uh, you can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can also follow my other podcast, Women's Hoops and Talks, at Hoops and Talks on Twitter. We got a new episode coming out this week. Dan, go ahead and take us out of here. All right, folks, you can follow me on Twitter at DMarang. It's at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. Same on Instagram, social media, everywhere else. Uh, also, you can find me on Blazers Outsiders Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Tuesdays and Thursday nights at 7 p.m. You'd think I would know where you could find me at this point in time. Um, on NBC Sports. Plastered all over the internet. Yes, and uh, Facebook Live and Rip City Radio 620. Cast. Um, again, we've got some really cool news that I'm hoping to share with everybody here in the next couple of weeks. Um, once that is made of it, or I get the green light to go ahead and announce it, uh, I hope you guys will enjoy it. Um, but for Tara, for me, and everybody else that plays Zeds, thanks for listening. Make sure you download, subscribe, link, rate, review, podcast, Apple iTunes, podcatcher, necessities, uh, like, rate, subscribe, unsubscribe, do it all over again, break the system. For Tara, I'm Danny, everybody else, thank you, and we'll catch you next week. See you.